Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, and uh, this is episode number 32. More about our guest in a minute, but I wanted to dive right into some business stuff first. Property of Zach. You keep hearing me talk about it, and I will continue to talk about it until everybody that listens to this show is visiting that site on a regular basis. Propertyofzach.com. They have news. They have music reviews. They have features. They have so much stuff there. They recently just launched their own merch line. Um, I, I, I can't even begin to say how much time I've personally wasted on the site. And I wouldn't even call it a waste. I would say an investment. So go to that site, get caught up, get familiar, and that way you will be uh, well-equipped to talk about the music industry and music in general and all that other fun stuff. Secondly, review the show on iTunes. I would absolutely adore it if you popped on iTunes and uh, you told me your thoughts on the show. Good, bad, ugly best thing I've ever heard, whatever you'd like to say. One of two things you can do. Give it a star rating, which will take you three seconds. And if you wanted to invest two minutes of your day, uh, you can definitely leave a little review. Uh, I do read them on a regular basis and check to see if there's new ones. And um, yeah, I do appreciate that. So visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. I try to post stuff throughout the week of things I've been listening to, things I've been watching, all that type of stuff. And it's just a nice little forum in which people can uh, either revisit stuff that they may have forgotten about um, or if there's something else meaningful that they trip onto, whatever. Visit the site. It's your your hub for this show. Um, so there's been something that's been on my mind as of late. Um I listen to a lot of podcasts where people tell stories, Um, and obviously a lot of the guests I have on tell stories about whatever it is they're experiencing, and maybe it's just a sign of me getting older, Um, but at the same time, that also scares me because there's a show that I love in which the person just talks for 40 minutes about their stories, their life, and um, yeah, I feel like my memory is fading. In the sense of, I have such a difficult time remembering those stories that uh, I once, you know, told a lot. And maybe that's just because everybody that I know in my life has already heard these stories. So, you know, you don't really regale them that often. Um, But it's just weird because it's like the certain things that just stick out in my mind. Like, there's just one story that pops in my head right now about uh, my old band Taken breaking down on the... West Virginia Highway. Actually, I don't even know if it's West Virginia. Somewhere on the East Coast. Virginia, I think. And um, how the tow truck almost slammed into the back of our van. Um, And there's just so many stories that are wrapped up in that. And the the tow truck driver just being this guy who had no concept of what it was being in a band. Or being a band. And then me having to get into the cab with this guy. And being terrified that he was going to drive me to a field and cut off all my limbs. I survived, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has those feelings like as they get older where it's like, oh crap, that story that was once so clear in my head and, you know, I think it's just part of the human experience where obviously we get older and we get dumber and 
some uh, in some aspects we get wiser where it's like we know not to make the same mistakes that we did when we were you know 17 18 19 or 20 um yeah so i don't know it's just been something that's been kind of rolling around in my uh in my head and these uh the also the idea of having an emotional attachment to a place where um whether it's like uh you know for a lot of us within music um these places that uh you know a venue there's a venue that is no longer in existence here in Southern California called Showcase Theater. It was located in Corona. And if you were a band that toured, you more likely than not played there. Um, I want to say the last show was in like 2005 or so, uh, but it existed. You know, I, I can't, I don't even know when it began, but I mean, it, it, it'd been there for quite some time. I want to say early 90s. Um, but it's one of those things that every time I drive by that exit in Corona, it just, you know, even just driving by the exit, so many memories flood into my head. And uh, it's just one of those things that even if I were to pass by that actual place now um, and see whatever's in its place, because honestly, I have no idea. I've never driven by there. I've never gotten off the exit just to reminisce. Um, but so much can be attached into a building. And then now it's vacant. No one else that has ever been there can have those same memories. Um, I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a weird concept that it's like we have, you know, obviously times change, things progress. And the fact that, um, we can have such an attachment to this, you know, place with four walls and a sound system. And I don't know, it's just such a, I really like that. I like the fact that you can have this sort of like little secret society where it's like, did you know what used to be there? Yeah, that was uh, CBGB's. Did you know what used to be there? Yeah, that was Showcase Theater. Not like I'm making, you know, parallels between the two. But, um, you know, Showcase Theater was was Im as important to a lot of people as what CBGB's was. So, walk down memory lane. See what you can kind of conjure up in your head. And, uh, I don't know, continue to tell the stories that you tell. Because uh, the less you tell them, the more that they fade from your memory. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I hope that they don't fade completely to the point of where... Once my son grows up, that I will be able to tell him stupid shit. Like, uh, I know I've told my wife stupid shit and all my friends stupid shit. So, anyways, enough about me and what's on my brain. Uh, the guest this week, and I'm going to totally butcher his last name, and I apologize to that. Keith La Latinen? Latinen? It's L-A-T-I-N-E-N. Um, I didn't ask him how to pronounce it when I spoke to him over the phone, so my bad. Uh, he's in a band called Empire Empire. I was a lonely estate. And yes, that is a mouthful. And he also runs a label called Count Your Lucky Stars. Um, I was never spoke to him in my life, just coldly emailed him and said, Hey, I do this show. I'd be interested in you having, or you coming on the show. And, uh, sometimes those things work. Sometimes they don't work regardless of the, you know, how busy people are. Um, you know, sometimes you just forget or it's just like, oh, I don't know. It's a podcast, whatever. Um, but he was kind enough to respond um, and say, hey, yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, I'd like to talk about things. Um, and then, you know, once in him, him and I started to connect and started to draw, you know, similar experiences and, you know, my own personal musical past, like we definitely dove pretty deep into that. Um, and after the phone conversation, I definitely will now consider him a friend because, uh, yeah, it's just one of those intrinsic things within music where it's like you can sit down, talk to a person for about, I mean, I talked to him for over an hour, but talk to a person for 10 minutes 
draw some similar conclusions and be like, you know what, you are worth knowing and you are a good person. So, um, yeah, love is banned and it definitely falls into the sort of mid-90s revival of a lot of bands that are doing, um, you know, sounding like not of this era. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you have your bands like, uh, you know, American Football, Promise Ring, all that type of stuff. Uh, and Empire Empire definitely falls within that category. Um, I found out about them like 2009 or so and immediately fell in love with it and tried to obtain every piece of vinyl from the band that I could. So anyways, check out this interview. I was really proud of it and uh, I think you will find some enjoyment out of it. So here we go. Were you born in the Michigan, Detroit area and like, you know, where, where you were raised and kind of, you know, your, your upbringing, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. I was, I was born in, uh, I was born in Southfield, Michigan, but I was raised in Fenton, Michigan, which is a, a relatively uh, small town. When we were growing up, it had about like 10,000 people there. That's pretty, that's pretty small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where like, Everybody knows everybody when we had one high school and, um, you know, so it's kind of a, it's funny because it's kind of a small sample size for like, for even, for finding anybody for a band. So <laughs> I just remember like, I knew like, everybody knew like two drummers and that was, that was it. Right. <laughs> one of those two drummers wasn't in your band. You were pretty much not in the band. <laughs> right. You kind of, honestly, I think drummers are totally like a rare thing to find in general, especially like a reliable person. It's like, and for you to obviously have even fewer people to like select from, because I mean, I I live in Southern California and it's like, you definitely find the people who have played in, you know, like 40 bands where it's like, they just keep getting asked and it's like, oh sure, that sounds fun. Yeah, I I feel like also those drummers too also, there were like a million bands and of course especially in high school and in times like that you just wanted them to be in your one band and they're in a million projects <laughs> right right yeah in fact in fact see when I when I was growing up because I'm 29 29 now so um, when I was growing up in high school too nobody I, I can say like oh I like I like emo music I like I like bands like that and everybody would turn to me and be like what What's that? So that was before the, the population, you know, slash bastardization of right of, of that term. As far insofar as bands like you know, like My Chemical Romance or Fall Boy or whatever. And uh, so the actually the people that were in my band, all of them got got into that style music directly because of me. So I don't I don't think there was one person in my high school who was naturally into the stuff I was into without like me telling them about it. Right, you you were. It sounds like you were just Mr. Tastemaker up there. <laughs> yeah, that was my nickname. Everybody called me that. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I know, I know. I'm <laughs> gonna be the worst. Be the worst. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah, especially if you were like stoked on it. You're like, yeah, they called me Mr. Yeah. Tastemaker. Yeah, Mr. Tastemaker. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well. I mean, but you do find. I, I think that's common where it's like you know, you have your one friend who kind of like starts to get into something and then, you know, you just sort of like, Hey, that's kind of cool. And like, you, you know, you, you obviously all start feeding off of one another and learning from one another. And, you know, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, word of mouth is is 
probably the most precious commodity you can have in a, you know, in, in music anyway. So yeah, uh, you know, it all takes is one person to really ignite something. Sure, sure. So did you have um, did you have brothers and sisters, and what did your uh, what did your parents do for a living? Um, yeah, I have uh, two older siblings and one younger sibling. Uh, an older sister and my brother. Oh wow! Yeah, your sister. Yeah, you were so you're um, right. You were right in the middle then. I am. I, I am the quintessential middle child. <laughs> <laughs> what? If you will. Yeah. What sort of? Because uh, I'm an only child, and I uh, I see you know any typical description you would see of an only child. I you know identify with most of those <laughs> descriptions, but I don't know what a description is of a middle child. Like what? Uh, what do people commonly say about that? Uh, it's sort of the uh, you know like oh overlooked feeling like they need attention and, and maybe, you know, they're, they're pushing their interest in, in something that's not like a traditional mean. Ah, got it. You know, for me, it was music and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so I, I sort of did fall a little bit into the archetype, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you can't really ever stereotype yourself. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I no. Just, I yeah. It's kind of funny, but, uh, yeah. Uh, my mom, my mom taught um, at, at our elementary school, and my dad, I uh, works for the state. So oh. Actually, my mom, my mom now works for the state as well. So that's that's what both of them do. So they like help with um, yeah, helping people get like food stamps and, and stuff like that. Oh, like and, yeah, and, social, social social program. Services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. So did you um. <clears throat> As you were, I mean, kind of like what you're saying, that whole middle child thing where a lot of people, um, I, I, people say that obviously there's acting out within that where you're just like, like you said, you know, trying to get attention or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so like you said, music was obviously sort of your, your stake to that claim. And so, yeah. like, well, it's, it's funny too, because as far as other things, I mean, like I've never drank in my life or I've never really. Like, I've never done any drugs, so it's, I've never acted out. In, I don't think in that manner. Right, right. So yeah, no, that's that's interesting, and because yeah, especially you you see it. It's really common, obviously, in smaller cities and places where there's quote unquote less things to do than you know your major whatever your major cities across America, where it's like you know, yep. drug use and drinking and all that type of stuff is prevalent because you're just like, well, what are you going to do on a Saturday night? Like, I don't know, like. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what what are you gonna do? And it's like, oh, I'm just gonna go drinking with some friends. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, well, I, I guess I just know, you know, that this play that, that went around. I'm sure I was never really interested in it. I was I was one of those kids who like I was in my own world. I I, uh, I didn't really like, notice girls until high school. I was just really into like you know RPGs, video games, and like Magic oh, the Gathering. And, I love uh, it. I love <laughs> it. Like that's awesome. So, um, do your uh, being ra- obviously being raised within a in a large family and everything. Did you um, you know you, you have a close relationship with like your parents and siblings and everything as you were? I, I do. That's yeah, my, my brother is one of my best friends, and uh, I talk to I talk to him all the time. I talk to my parents all the time, and my my sisters. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite close actually. So. Yeah, yeah. Are they still like you? You live in the same area currently, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I live. Um, I don't live in Fenton right now. I live close to it. It's a town called Novi, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll live. Except for my 
my younger sister, she lives out in Rhode Island. Uh, everybody else still lives in Michigan, and so I, I see them on a fairly regular basis. So. That's cool. Yeah, I always it always makes me happy when you hear about the fact that obviously people are close that have been influenced by independent culture because it's like you, you definitely see a rift that sometimes occurs where it's like, you know, when you do step out from, you know, your parents' perceived path for you, <laughs> that yeah. there, there causes friction where parents might be like, you know, I mean, yeah. Ulti- yeah. I think my thing for me, you know, my parents had four kids. And so I think they became a little bit more malleable as, as, as you know, as time went on. So being the third child, you know, you have, you sort of have less scrutiny on you, I think. Right. It's, you know, the third child. And also, you know, um, you know, they've relaxed their, their standards and and there's four of us. So everybody is pretty, everybody definitely went into their own field. Because um, mm-hmm. it's not like, my family is, is not like a, really that much of a musical family. I don't know. I don't, I think my, my dad played guitar a little bit when he was, when he was younger, but I didn't even know that when I, when I had picked up guitar, it wasn't something that. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't something that was like because I, I think you know when I when when Kathy and I have children, it'll be more. I mean, it won't be. It'll be pretty obvious that you know, we were into music. You know, I mean, there'll be guitars and and uh, you know a drum set lying around as opposed to you know no traces of that at all. Right, right. <laughs> so like me, music in general, like as you were growing up, was just kind of a sort of you know whatever's on the radio and sort of afterthought. Well, I mean. Yes and no. I, I guess playing music was more something that that wasn't something that I would have tied to my family. I mm-hmm. I first got I first got into me. I I was really this is a nerd in me again, but like I was really really into um, stuff like RPGs and video game music. It was uh-huh. that's more what I listened to what I played all the time. And then I remember uh, my little sister and I sometimes would make um, tapes taping some songs off the radio or whatever. And oh, I, yeah. I finally got the courage to to go buy my first cassette tape ever. <laughs> and I bought uh I bought the the real McCoy. You know that song Another Night. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And so I bought that tape and I was like really nervous to buy it. And my family uh has this thing where like uh I don't know, like if if you do something that's out of your normal character, they, they point it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really nervous about that. <laughs> I, I bought the cassette tape. But I was really probably really nervous. And then my my entire my, all my sister, my brother and sisters made so much fun of me. That I didn't I didn't buy another cassette tape ever, like for a long time. I didn't buy anything for a long time. <laughs> That's <then> incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then I ended up buying. Um, I ended up getting into music again as my um, like in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, like seriously, when my my brother and I uh, shared a lot of musical, you know, exploration and taste, and my first CD that at that point was uh, Arlie Peace. Oh sure, um, clumsy. And, and being from Michigan too, I think that uh, you know, they're from Canada, and, and and we had some local radio stations that would would play, you know, some Canadian bands from were close to the border and everything. Mm-hmm. Sort of like grew from there. And so you're, uh, like, I, I presume with the way that you were describing yourself, obviously, once you started to enter in high school, you were, uh, by all definition of the term, what I like to call, and I include myself in that, an indoor kid, where, where you, 
<laughs> you definitely weren't going out for the football team, so to speak, but you were. Well, uh, that's funny though, because I, I was actually quite um, athletic. I, I did, I did, uh, I had played soccer all my life, and okay. I had played, um, you know, baseball in my league all my life, and I was quite athletic. And mm-hmm. I, I did, I went out for track. I did track for my first two years, and you know, we, I, had, I was on a team that, you know, we had a really team that had gone to states and my freshman year and um yeah actually it's funny because i'm absolutely in love with sports now <laughs> and um I, I kind of was not in high school uh-huh. I, I don't know whatever it was i think I, I was just like it was a lot of pressure and i was expected to do it um i just fell out of love with that probably harder than anything else that it I just wanted to do my own thing and, and hang out with my friends in high school. So, you know, maybe maybe I lament that a little bit. Not, yeah, not 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 doing those things more, but you know, it's not something that you can you can go back and change. No, no, but that, no, but that, yeah, but that that's interesting because I, I do feel I think you hit on an important point that um, I really do feel that people take kind of one or two paths in high school in regards to like once you start to get introduced to, you know, something that you're passionate about, like, you know, using music and sports and it's really hard to kind of do both, you know, like dedicate yourself to both. And it's like, there's just not, not, not that much room to be like, all right, I gotta, you know, I really want to go to this show on Friday night, but that's when the game is like, I can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I just remember at that point in my life, just wanting nothing to do with, you know, with the sports at that, at that moment, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, even, even I, I, I didn't even, I, I had to run track, um, and, and done soccer and, and it even like contemplated, you know, doing football. And, um, I, I just, it was one of those things where like, it didn't even seem like an option that I couldn't do track or, or soccer. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that like my mom or, 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 or parents or something or anybody else really, really expected that me, but I just kind of, I expected that I, I had to do it. It was like an expectation I had that I, I feel like I couldn't break. And then, mm-hmm. and then my, after my sophomore year into, into my junior year, um, I just decided I, I didn't want to do it anymore. And right. It was, it was like a strangely, it was like a strangely liberating thing. I remember I was supposed to be doing indoor track. And at that point, I haven't thought about this in years. Well, but I, at that point, I remember I had left high school, and my mom, you know, being that she had worked at at, at school, she was she was home pretty soon after school too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had left high school, and I, I remember telling her that I was doing indoor track, but just like hanging out with my friends and making sure I, when I came home, it would have been the logical time to come home. Right after, after sure. Track. And I remember one time she saw me driving around, and she said, "Oh, I thought you were supposed to be a track." And I just completely, I think, I think at that point, like I ended up coming clean, saying, "Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing track right now." And I, I think that I, that was when I kind of dropped out of that entirely. Right. So yeah, I mean, like you know, I mean, hindsight is one of those things too. Of course, we're like. There are, are a dozen things, more of course, that I would go back and, and maybe do something differently. But like, mm-hmm. I just remember like 
not feeling passion for that whatsoever. And, yeah. and I needed it. Like, it was quite a break I needed before I ended up coming back to something. Because when I was a kid, I, I loved I loved sports, you know. And, not, and now I do, too. So it's funny how things go yeah, full circle. Totally, totally. And it, it really is all about timing, too. Because something that um, you may, like you said, you'll feel the pull. And you, you know, I mean, obviously, as a teenager, you always follow your heart more than you follow anything else in your entire body. Wholeheadedly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so did, as you were going through school, did, was it one of those things that like the actual school was important or was it one of those things you kind of just tried to sort of coast by? Um, well, when I was in high school, I, I did well enough, like I did well in school enough that I didn't really have to try that much. Um, and so I, I think too, you know, when I got to college, you know, that was, it was quite an adjustment period, but that was more like mm-hmm. I think so- socially than than academically, um, because I, w- I went to um, Michigan State <clears throat> for my undergrad, and that's a massive school. Yeah, right? that, I mean, there's, that's it's huge. one of the biggest schools in the country, and I had come from a, a small town, and uh, it was it was it was a real tough adjustment period because I I, I all my life I had deep you know excellent x amount of friends that were the same friends right and so i didn't you kind of don't realize how lucky you are to have the friends that you have until you, it's sort of taken away from you you know and you put into a new atmosphere where like, i didn't know like anybody right no that, i mean i'm sure that was a huge culture shock because like i've i mean i was you know pretty much raised in southern california and, and las vegas nevada but my stepfather, he lived and was born in a city called Farmington, Illinois. And so I would go back there every summer. And so, you know, I got I feel like I got a balanced perspective on what, you know, it felt like, I mean, not to be like raised in a city like that, but you know, what small town life is, whereas other yeah, people, yeah. other people don't have that perspective, especially, I mean, people more have the perspective of where you're coming from, where it's like, you're, you know, you're going to a large place, but many, yeah. many people don't have the perspective of the reverse. And so when you're stepping in there, no one is going to understand what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually my, my, uh, one of my friends from high school, um, was my roommate, my freshman year. And, uh, we, we were friends definitely in high school, but, um, mm-hmm. we ended up living together, I think, because out of convenience for each other, because, you know, we were both going to a new place and, we didn't, you know, it was going to be a new, it was a new challenge and we could have each other to rely on. But he ended up doing marching band um, and that took all of his time, like literally all of his time. And so I just remember, like, instead of having a roommate my freshman year, it was pretty much like I was living on my own, which was not, not a good situation for me because I was extremely shy and I just sat in my room. And this is before, like, this is before, obviously, you know, things like Facebook. Right, social networking, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, like, it, I think today, when kids go to college, they are so much more connected to everybody, it's an easier time, um, and you stay connected with your friends, your you know, old friends easier because, you know, the means and resources are just there. But that, that definitely wasn't the case, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was quite a dif- difficult transition, and I... And, and then I had, I became friends with my my sweet mates, and they were kind of shut in 
as well at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that was n- not a good combination as well because it was sort of like misery was coming. <laughs> right. We, we stayed in, you know. Right. You guys just all, you guys just all, yeah, the, the, the circle of misery just bounced right. between right. all of you. And actually, my, my sweet mate um, was also like me where he didn't drink or do anything at all. And at that point in my life, it was something that I had a, I had a problem with people drinking. It, it, it like irked me. It, it bothered me a lot. And I was pretty outspoken. Like, no, I don't care. I absolutely don't care when people do that. But mm. I think that's part of youth and, and, and the passion that you feel where like, yep. it's, you know, and, and so like that, that isolated us further and we had found each other, um, you know, and Michigan State, you know, had a reputation, has a reputation for being part, a little bit of a party school as well, especially around that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think we kind of sort of clung to each other. And, and that also didn't make matters, you know, better because, like, well, you have one person and we'll just kind of sit inside and, like, and play, like, you know, Smash Brothers and, and Mario Kart and, <laughs> and <laughs> interact with the rest of the world. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I, I want to back up before we get too far ahead of ourselves, just in regards to, because um, I presume that, you know, once you started to discover uh, independent music in high school and obviously followed that passion, um, you know, when did you kind of start uh, picking up, you know, the idea of wanting to play in a band and like, you know, was that was that always something that you kind of wanted to do once you started to pay attention? Yeah, I think once I started to, you know, once I caught, buzz of, of music I think it was around like 15 that I, I got a guitar and um, just really really wanted to um, yeah just start a band in fact that was my full purpose in life for <laughs> far too long <laughs> you know, and, and but but my one of my most difficult problems was five, for, I was okay I, I not not as much now. It's still a trait that I have now, and I can't ever deny that. But now, I'm a very like one track mind person. Mm-hmm. So like, and I, I was very very passionate about it. And so I think too, um, what well, a I was looking for people that wanted to play a very obscure style of music. Mm-hmm. You know, like nobody knew who Death Cab for Cutie was, or or Jimmy World, or or Mineral, or right. Napsack, or whatever. And um, and two, I, I was very, very passionate about it. So I wanted to do it 24-7. I wanted to do it nonstop, and I wanted to do it very, very serious, you know. And I think that scares some people when, you know, because a lot of people start bands, and they start it, and they say, oh, you know, we just started it for fun, and it turned into something serious. And I was like, on day one, on page one, I'm serious. You know, Wow, interesting. But yeah, that you had that, that you had that focus, but like you said, you have one-track mind, and it was like, that was yeah. it. Yeah. And I know for a fact that in college there were there were people that I had jammed with and, and something that have, that were, you know, like they were doing it for fun and I and I wasn't and they knew that and that ended up to some misgivings and misunderstandings and. Well, but what I mean, I mean of course, we, sorry to interrupt, but like when I mean when you say that like you know you wanted to do it like did you have you know were the aspirations to be like you know. Um, like this, you know, this like sort of insanely large like rock band. Like, did you have that sort of aspiration, or was it like, no, I just want to make a living off of music? Or where was your head at? Well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure still if I if I can define that or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's for me. I have a very, very hard time quantifying success, and 
I guess I'm one of those pers- people who are like, uh, it's not like, like so I'm very, very, very um, gracious for as much as we've done and very, very humbled. And, right. And uh, I appreciate it very much. But I'm also one of those people who are just, I, you know, it's, I guess, never is enough type attitude. We're, not right. to say that, like I said, I don't appreciate it, but like I always, I'm always, instead of looking back and, on what I've accomplished, I'm looking forward to what I can accomplish. Yeah, well, yeah, they, as cheesy <clears throat> as it is, I mean, you know, the band Hatebreed, <laughs> the record Satisfaction yeah. is the Death of Desire. It's like that, that, that statement is, you know, it rings true. And it's like, if you just sit back and rest, then, you know, you're not going to advance in your life. And I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I know. And I can, like I said, like, it was like, it was definitely a passion that, that I, I you know, I've, I never found anybody really equivalent to, to that, you know, to being a band with. And actually it sort of led, uh, it sort of led to the situation that we are in today as a band, wherein it's, it's just me and my wife, that's all that's left, you know, and like for a long, long time, I was very romantically tied to the, to the notion that when you're a band, you are these X amount of individuals for, let's say, in my case. And it was like, this is the band, and if this band ever breaks up, these four people ever stop playing together, then it's not the band anymore. Mm-hmm. But but I think, I think Empire was built on sort of a flawed foundation because it was started out as a solo project and I played everything on our first release. And when when we decided to make it a full band, then we already had like an album, that an EP that was already done. And so you're bringing people in that are already not playing what they wrote. And I always, I, I'm, despite despite being super driven creatively um, and passionate about it, I'm also really big on um, everybody contributing and, and writing their own part. But mm-hmm. I think um, the problem was, you know, we started out with five songs before anybody joined the band. And then we would play those songs and we'd, you know, probably write, we'd probably write a few or whatever and keep going. Um, but we then we lot like our first drummer uh, ended up leaving. He moved to Portland. Our second, our first bassist was like one of my best friends and he was doing it just because he was friends with me, but he didn't feel the same way I did about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a while we wanted to do, more than he was willing to do, and, and that just sort of ended um, him being bad, not not our friendship. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. just, that just that just ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, but the, the the funny thing was because I was able to play everything, and I was driven. I didn't want to ever slow down. I felt like if we slowed down, it would just be the death of the band. Mm-hmm. But we kept we kept writing material in between members, and then it got to this point where like you're joining a band. And they have a massive catalog already, and so no matter how many songs you write with them, it's going to be hard to catch up. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course you're going to feel more passionate about the songs you have a hand in. So, and we, we went through uh, so many members, and again, our, our selection pool has never been that that great. And I remember too, when we were looking for members all the time. It would be like, I think maybe I would in the classified. You know, for Craigslist or back mm-hmm. in the day, MySpace Music or whatever it was, I think I, I was like, you know, must be all these things, and and maybe a bit too, you know, too specific. Stu- and too, right, too, right. Well, like you know, like 
like must be this age or older, must be willing to tour, must like these bands, must have your own equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Where I think like if it had been more loose, it would have attracted more people. But I think that I was looking for something very, very specific. It wasn't something that, you know, ever really happened. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, I think the way that you approach it was definitely, you know, because you you were older at the time. You weren't like, because I mean, I did the same thing when I was, you know, because I mean, I played in bands for many years myself. And, you know, that idea of, you know, posting stuff around online, but you know, this was before that really existed. So it was like the whole, you know, I posted a flyer to a record store where it's like, yeah, Hey, I want to, yeah, ha- yeah, totally. It's like, I want to, ha- I want to find band members that are, you know, between these ages and they want to sound like, you know, Snapcase or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, but that I, I totally did see the people that just like, you know, randomly, like they just pulled the number off of the flyer and called me and then like they came over and it was like holy shit there's no way that you and i have any commonality besides yeah yeah you just walked into a record store (laughs) right yeah i I guess to me i never understood why somebody pulled the tab not knowing any of those bands either i would i remember doing that a lot that's how i tried to find numbers in college right it just it just just, they would come over and we would jam and he'd be like well i like these bands yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm super into, super into Van Halen, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So I don't, you know, I think that, I, I think it's somewhat a, maybe ironic, but like if, if I was younger today, like if I was like just starting a band, it would be so much easier to find members now, mm-hmm. you know, than, than, it, than it was yeah. when I was growing up. Well, yeah, and you're, you're yeah, you're obviously pulling from a much larger pool of people who could potentially be interested in the same stuff. And well, I mean, yeah, with, you know, with, with the internet and, uh, you know, and the accessibility that it has to everybody, everybody is so much more like when I was growing up, it was hard to find your way into the style of music that I was into. I I sort of like stumbled up in and everybody finding new bands was like a badge of honor at that point. And Mm -hmm. you would, what I would do is I would, you know, I'd like pour over liner notes or, or if one band was in, had members with another band, I would check it out. And I remember buying CDs, not never hearing the band and sometimes being burned by that, but sometimes, you know, it turned out to be one of the greatest purchases. And, and so. Dude, the description, like the description of records that you would read in either reviews and or music catalogs, that was the Bible. You bought it it blind. yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, but so that but that made it way harder to like the concept of uh, I just remember too like MP3.com was around when I was in high school that was the big thing and of course yep. nobody will remember that anymore but right. I just remember even downloading a a single song would take so incredibly long and if you you know if your parents let you get on the computer you know we we end up getting a second line after a while because <laughs> you know. Stuff like that. But yeah, right. which also is a very archaic concept. It's not something that you would, you know, you, you would, you would be able to talk to people about, you know. Yeah, for um, sure. But so, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe, I think that's one reason why I, I started playing drums, too, is because I wanted to have that, um, I wanted to be able to fit into a band if, they needed, if a band needed a drummer, then I could play drums. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah. You 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 realize that you know no matter what you would uh, your services would probably always be needed in some way, shape, or form. Right. Yeah. But the funny thing was, um, I always wanted to sound like a specific thing, and um, I don't think that I don't know that. In college, I played drums for a band for, um, I think, a year, a year and a year and a half or something like that, mm-hmm. and then ended up moving to guitar because I thought the songwriting was kind of weak before then, and mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to be like, okay, this is this is this is how it's done. And so we, when we had a guitarist leave, I felt like I kind of jumped into upgraded positions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. What so was. What was the sort of, I always find this telling and funny because, you know, usually the first band that you play in either has a terrible name or is obviously musically um, not what you're anticipating. You have an idea of what you want to play, but then it's totally right. not achieved. So what, what, was the first, uh, what was the first band name that you played with and what were you, what were you trying to achieve? Um, well, well, actually, it, it started off, it was a terrible, terrible band name. It was called Makeshift Apathy. <laughs> wait, wait, say that again. Makeshift Apathy. Okay, okay. I mean, it's. I mean, it's very hard on the sleeve. Like you know, very, it's very, uh, very nineties. Right. It's very, very, like, very emotional. Very delicate. Like alternative rock nineties, I think. But actually, that that band, um, that was my first band, and it had um, the original bassist for Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my friends was playing drums in it, and that was just a three-piece. Okay. And I would—that was the last time I was ever in a three-piece because you just can't do much with that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard and for me, especially like dark song music. I, I really the way I write guitar parts, and it relies very much mm-hmm. on the, on other guitarists, another guitarist, and like the sum of all the parts. But anyway, um, that, that was a band for like I don't know a couple months or something like that, and then we broke up and got together. And here's the second band I was in. It's, it was, it, it was, you know, the first band was the same. I was still trying to do like, you know, mid nineties emo stuff, which was in the mid to late nineties. Right, right. Point, <laughs> which wasn't that. wasn't too far removed from that time frame. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a throwback then, right. so at all, because I was, and I never stopped playing. But my second band was called Said the Girl, which is super emo stuff. <laughs> that is very emotional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An album called "The Cat and Mouse Wars." <laughs> oh, dude, that's a, see, yeah. that's the type of stuff that it's like. I mean, as as obviously we can laugh at it, but it's like I think it's so important for people to have those experiences that are trying to play in bands because, like, you, you know, if you don't throw yourself into a scene or something like that and really embrace it, like, you know, I don't really think that you're getting the sort of as true of an experience as you maybe should. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't really a scene in Fenton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. So, your, like, your situation. Sort of, you right. artificially you artificially create it you know, based on what you you think you know is happening. Right. Na- nationwide or, or something like that. So like we did have like some basement shows and stuff like that, but it was the same people that came to everything. That <laughs> it wasn't like you know it wasn't like bands coming through town or touring at that point or anything like that. It was just like and I'm, I'm, I remember, I don't know if you were like this, but in high school, I remember, first of all, there, there are a couple of things when you played shows. One, it was like, you always wanted to play last in high school. Oh, of course. You thought that was the most important band. Yep. And two, when you would have shows on your own, like, we would play literally every song we had. Or we'd be like, oh, we just started writing a song. 
an hour ago. Let's play as much as we can. And it's like, I have, I'd be like, I, if I was a member in the audience, uh, in the audience, I'd be like, shut up. Just totally. play like a half an hour, play the songs that you actually know, and then be done. Right. Yeah, you don't have you don't have a concept of that. Like you definitely no. Yeah, when you start when you start doing stuff like that and especially when you're in an environment in which, you know, you either feel like you can control or you have some sort of say in, you're just like, dude, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that now that was sort of the mentality behind that. <laughs> it was embarrassing to think about how long those concerts must have been and then we'd be like, Oh, we're just gonna Jam around, focus a second on this, and it would, you know, right. come off terribly. Three, three hours later. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> as you were, uh, this, and this is kind of more, um, more of an overall question, just something that I've noticed that seems to be sort of symptomatic of, um, I don't know, the Midwest in general, where, um, you know, because what you're doing with, like, Empire and your record label, Count Your Lucky Stars, um I just feel that a lot of people that come up in smaller towns that have, you know, an attachment to independent culture and music, um, you know, they want to kind of create these sort of, you know, own little corner of the world is what I like to call it, where it's like, I mean, on the most sort of mainstream level, you look at a person like Boney Bear, who, you know, has his, the record label Jack Jaguar that his brother runs and like, you know, like it, yeah. He's he's made that extremely extremely successful, and you know it's like I remember I saw on like the Jag Jaguar Twitter when before this new Bon Iver record came out, you know they were taking pre-orders um, of you know for the the vinyl record, like you know in the back of like pickup trucks down to the post office, and it's like you know yeah. you don't you don't see that from like you know other larger independent labels or whatever, um, <clears throat> and then obviously it's like I just see it really seems to kind of come from the Midwest where it's like people want to develop this own, you know, they're like I said, their own little plot of land, so to speak. Like, do you, have you noticed that? Or is that something that obviously? No, I, 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 I have, I think it's actually something I'm, I'm kind of proud of. I'm kind of proud to be from a, a smaller town and, and being, you know, being able to do maybe a little bit, something successful, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I very much identify with those roots and, very strong like work ethic and trying hard to be um something anything really yeah and uh yeah i think along with the midwest i think the mentality that we approach for our label and our band is, is definitely different than you find in other other areas of the country maybe i mm-hmm. we have a very our label is very very family oriented so like everybody is friends with everybody on the label and would, you know, goes out of the way to help each other. And it's just like this brotherhood. Right. Um, and I, that's something I'm, you know, intensely proud of. So a lot of our bands tour with each other and a lot of our um, bands, they always help each other out. And there's some pretty, I think, prominent like house shows venues that, that are run by my friends that are in our bands. Like there's mm-hmm. this place called the Quinn thing and an actor in Ohio that, they're a seminal house show venue. I mean, as much as a house show venue can be. Right, right. You know, a typical shelf life of a you know a house show is is, is much smaller. And right. um, in Rockford, my friends in Juarez ran this place called Hipster House, and in Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, my friends in uh, Reptilian have run several house show venues, and uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that it's a different feel in the Midwest than it is anywhere else. And yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, I think when this whole like revivalist movement was starting up, there was two distinct scenes. One was the Midwest and one was the East coast, mostly like in, in Philly and, and Pennsylvania and stuff like that. Yep. And, um, they've, they've grown both quite a bit. Um, I think that the East Coast grew um, maybe quicker than than the Midwest did. Yeah. The Midwest was sort of steadily plodding along, and I think that you know what we're doing now is is, is pretty pretty strong and and distinctly different from them. Although it's you know very very tied in. Yeah. Well, no, I think I mean I think because it's it's funny you actually predicted something I was going to ask you. Um, where it's like, yeah, there there is two distinct movements within that. And obviously the way that you described both of them is so, um, bo- it's emblematic of both of those like geographical locations where it's like, you know, you have, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, Pennsylvania area, so to speak, um, you know, with bands like, you know, title fight, balance and composure, all that type of stuff. Um, where it's like, you know, it's not, it's, you know, an hour outside of Philly, which is a major, major city. Um, and obviously, you know, you're, you're close to Detroit, but that's still the Midwest. Um, yeah, well, it's also Detroit. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's all, yeah. like a real city. Right. <laughs> I think people would fight you if you said that, but, yeah. <laughs> but you uh, can everybody see everybody in Michigan, everybody in Michigan knows that like you don't, this, you know, the population of Detroit is decreasing every year and, and, and sort of a shell of a city. We all wish, right. You all wish very much that it would be revived, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and see, I think, I, I think it's funny because I think that, that hope, the hope stays alive because I think people, you know, they still invest in it. Like the, the city yeah. isn't, oh, yeah. they, I mean, obviously the people haven't moved on from the city and it's like, I think that's, you know, again, that's sort of very emblematic of like, you know, how the, the Midwest mentality sort of operates. And yeah, I mean, I, like you said, the way that you kind of need that you do the band, you do the label, it's like, you know, you, it may not be, you know, in one year's time that it's like, oh my God, like Empire 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 is as large as like, you know, the Promise Ring was like in the late nineties. It's like no, no I would never, I would never, I would never say that. But yeah, no, but I, I mean, it, it, plotting is, is, I guess, yeah, a perfect way to put it. Well, like, I think for such a long time, people just, it's not like, I don't know, I don't think we're like one of those bands that, um, you like a, a flashy band where you, yeah. You you notice us right away, and, and that, I think that we're more of like, yeah, I think you're right. I think that I, I think we've it's like it's sort of always been there, and people are just noticing now, yeah, like slow slowly or something. And I think, yeah, yeah, no, and I I think it's funny because I remember when I tripped across you guys, it was I think it was close, it was like three years ago, <clears throat> where it was just one of those things where, and I I honestly can't even remember where I tripped on you guys, but. Um, I mean, I just, you know, immediately gravitated towards it because it's like, I mean, I myself am 32 years old. So it's like, you know, I, I listened to it and I was just like, we, we did cut our teeth around the same time. Oh, yeah. dude, completely. I mean, we're all of our, all the experiences we're talking about are very yeah. similar, but like hearing you and it was like, okay, like this is, you know, <laughs> and I use these terms in not a, a negative or pejorative way, but it's like, Oh, this is delicate. This is precious. This is everything that, yeah, yeah, this is everything that reminds me of obviously when I first started to get into music that wasn't loud and aggressive. And so, like you said, it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't the, the band wasn't presented to me as like, Oh dude, this is the new shit. Like fuck, check this yeah. out immediately. <laughs> and I think, and I think that that's the way that everybody is introduced to either your label or the band is like, you know, I think you would like this, check this out. And then that yeah. sort of resonates more with a person. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that like, I mean, there's so many bands that I love, but they, people seem to get so intensely into them so quickly. Yeah. And then they they seem to, they seem to fall out of them the same exact way. Like, oh, I was really into this band for a couple of months and then I, I just don't listen to them. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to be. Right. Right. It's hard to sustain that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, 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 it's strange because now I don't I don't really understand and I don't think it's something that you can really identify. But buzz that certain bands get and certain bands don't. I don't ever feel like we've been a buzz band, which is which is fine. I mean, but I, we've been around. We've been a band for six years, which is an insanely long time to be yeah. in a band. I think I've, I've totally. never been in a band past this, before this that lasted over two years. You know, and that was a long time. I felt yeah. No, it it definitely is, and I think that um, I I mean I find it interesting, kind of how you were talking about the transition of you know what you were doing with obviously like a full band, and then now um, it's just it's just you and your wife that are obviously creating this together. Um, <clears throat> I find it um, well. First of all, how how long have you been married? Um, we've been married for six years. Oh, okay. Um, so she's journeyed through you with this entire project as it's she has, she yeah. has. Um, it, when it started as a solo project, um, she lent some guest vocals to the first record, and right. you know, she as soon as we were a full band, she was playing guitar in it. So, and so the it's funny because I mean, I I mean, I'm married myself, and I would never. I mean, my wife likes music, but she actually jokes around just because I like music so much. I've crushed her love for music. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I understand completely because that's just oh, you know, yeah, that's, I understand that too. that's what happens but <clears throat> the idea of playing I, I love the idea of playing music with my wife like I, I just think it's like uh, I mean and again not using this in a negative way but it's just like it's adorable like I, I you know <laughs> yeah. he, hearing what you guys do it's just like that is cute ass shit and it's like yeah well uh, it's kind of funny though because we've been we Kathy and I have been together for, you know, we've been married for six years and we actually dated for seven years before that. So we've been together for, it's almost coming up to the point where, you know, I think it is now, now I think about it, I think it's at the point where I've known her longer than I haven't known her. Right. Which is, which is. It's insane. Yeah. I've been with her like longer than I haven't been with her. Totally. That's crazy. um, Yeah. And, um, I taught her how to play guitar and, and, uh, um, that's, you know, how we sort of, you know, started playing together. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, um, I was, when we were first starting out as a band, uh, and, and then she played guitar with me in another band previous to this. And I just remember being so worried that, um, that people wouldn't want to be in a band with us because we, we're in a relationship, and I think that people's typical view of relationship, you know, oh, most people say I would never want to play, no matter how much I love my my significant other, I'd never want to play with him or her in, in a band because you know you imagine like people fighting and and, and being like in awkward situations with them, 
Right. And so it was actually very, very, very um, wary of that and sort of tried to downplay that because if it, it's one of those things like if anybody ever, if you ever, you know, if anybody ever met us, I think they would be put at ease pretty quickly because Kathy is like the greatest person in the earth. She's like super easygoing and, and no one could ever be mad at her. I mean, people could be mad at me or, or anybody else, but like not at her. You know? <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. Two kind of a person. So I think that, that, that would put them at ease. And the second thing I was always worried about was I, I think that people would always think that I would write every part for her. You know, like she was just, yeah. There and right. I was doing all the work, you know. And like she was your arm like, candy. <laughs> right, yeah. Or, you know, like like I like I was like I wrote all the guitar parts and then I made her play this guitar part or whatever. And right. I mean it, it to a certain extent I I did write a, a a decent amount of guitar parts. She's an amazing guitarist and she wrote, you know, she brings a lot to the table too. Um but yeah, so those were two things that I was like inherently very worried about when we were looking for band members and I think if you combine that with an obscure music genre um, and you combine that with looking for somebody who want, I'm looking, you know, I was like shooting for the moon. I was looking for the perfect person, you know, like all these things right. led to not finding people. Right. <laughs> You're like, all of this led me to where I am at currently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So when we were looking for band members and as we say grew in success, um, it would look like we were much, you know, I think the internet has this um, the, a way of like making things seem much larger than they are. Oh, sure. Um, um, and so I think that when we were looking for band members at, at some point, and this is during the MySpace days, and we had, we, we had a lot of fans in MySpace and we'd get lots of plays in MySpace because um, we worked hard and promoted ourselves a lot that way. Um, I think that people had this perception, they always had that perception that we were a huge band. And I would get people from all over the country and sometimes even the world saying, like, oh, I really want to be in your band. I'll move to wherever it is you know, that you live and we can do this. And I would always be like, I'm, it's, I'll be completely honest with you, it's not worth moving for. This is not something that can sustain itself and it's not, you know, we're not doing enough to warrant you moving. Right. You know? I, you're like, I do not want responsibility for an 18-year-old kid coming up to right. Be, right, you're like right, I, I, and like I like you know I'm I'm thinking of the practical implications where like yeah. where are you going to live? Uh, are you you know where are you going to get a job? It's hard to get a job in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> where are you going to you know do this and that? And it wasn't something that and I remember that time too. I had we had I graduated college and had gotten married, and then we're, we were both currently. Um, living at my parents mm -hmm. and like it's not like they could live with me and my wife at my parents house you know what i mean it's yeah not, yeah it's not even a possibility so <laughs> like we were that, kind of in this that's not practical yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so we're kind of in like this strange strange um situation where it was just not just not not working out that way <laughs> yeah yeah what did you would you get your degree in in college um my undergrad was um in english Oh, okay. That makes sense. So it was, yeah. yeah I, um, I never wanted to teach. Right. Um, that, and that's pretty much all that you do when you get an English degree. Right. Exactly. So that, of course, and, and, you know, you know why I say that because that's the first question English majors always say, oh, do you want to teach? And 
or I say, no, 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 what are you going to do if you don't teach? Right. You're um, like, well, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to play in a band. I'm going to run this record. Yeah, band. exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too. I think, you, you know, your reaction is like, oh, that makes sense. You know, because you know, I'm, I'm a musician and I write lyrics, and, and me personally, that's something that's very, very important to me, the lyrics. But uh, it's funny because I think people, you know, quantify having English to be this is like synonymous with you being a good writer, but I I don't at all think that that's the case. There are so many people I know who have English majors who are terrible lyricists. No, oh, totally. Or like, or like for example, um, you know, you know, Bad Religion and Greg Gaskin, how he's like a PhD or whatever. Yes. Um, and like, I'm sure he's a brilliant man, but his lyrics are so simple. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I just, I just cringe at them I, I, as a band. I, I think they're talented or whatever. I'm not taking a shot at them, but like, it just like people are like, "Oh, this guy's a, a genius because he has, he has a PhD." But when you read the lyrics, they're just very, very simple and very direct and very A B rhyme scheme type of thing. And yeah, I just, um, I guess I just reject that. That sure. Um, that's not. Yeah, that's not your. That's not your goal. I mean, like that was. Uh... Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's like, yeah, Bad Religion has existed for longer than both, well, close to longer than both you and I have been alive, but the... Right, uh, right. But yeah, yeah no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. You're just like, that's not that's not the way I want to express myself. Yeah, well, I just, just that, like, I, I guess I just reject the notion that just simply being uh, an English major uh, um, makes you a, a uh, you know, strong writer. I, 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 yeah. I just, you know, that's... Also, two lyrics are something that I think that bands just really, you know, are an afterthought, and that's that's the thing that I agonize over. Or that's the thing that I need to make, you know, the, make it the best that it can be, making, you know, something right. more than. Yeah, it's just as it's just as important as the music. This isn't they're not yeah. they're not mutually exclusive. You're just like okay, yeah. Do you does do you and your wife work, or do you guys work on the the label as a full time uh, endeavor? Kathy has a Kathy has a real job. She works uh, at a company called Green Path, which is this um, not non profit which helps people um, when when you when you're declaring bankruptcy <clears throat> um, or you're having like you have to legally call a, a um, for a session for a you know a, a non profit or some mm-hmm. third party. And she helps people with that, maybe helping with their budget or, oh, nice. or or what have you. Also, she helps with like you know if people uh, are possibly getting their health foreclosed on, she can help in like make suggestions or help get them on programs or what have you. Um, I um, I used to work at a library um, for a number of years mm-hmm. um, and left that last year uh, to concentrate on the label full time. Nice and. Which which is and tour a lot more, um, which is still insane to me that that's what I do. Yeah. So recently, I um, I registered to start subbing again. I always tell people subbing is the best job you can have as a touring band because oh yeah, you never you never have to ask for time off. Um, it the pay is decent. Um, you're always done early and you can mm-hmm. work when you want to. You know. Yeah. Well, so it, I, I it's just, it's so funny because you see so many people. I feel that like, you know, once the, once people have transitioned to the point where they, you know, they're not interested in touring full time and doing all that, like there's so many people that 
especially like in the, you know, hardcore punk independent music scene, whatever that transition to be teachers. It's like, just because it, you know, it mimics the feeling of what it's like to be on stage and sort of entertain, you know, it has, there's, there's similarities there. And I see that, that common thread, but yeah, the whole subbing thing is a perfect, perfect thing. Yeah, it is. It really, I did it. I did it. Um, I think it was like four or five years ago. That was my job for quite a while. Um, and I just sort of am returning to it now because, um, well, there's a number of reasons, you know, obviously running a label is, is quite a financial, you know, burden and you don't, you don't, you know, when you, if you're breaking even, you're having a, you know, a good year. Um, but, uh, another thing is like, I, I, I'm feeling like right now we, we've taken off time from touring right now because we're supposed to be writing a new album, which just, I'm just so busy with the label. I, we just haven't had as much time, but mm-hmm. I'm also like, Kathy works, um, 10 hour, 10 hours a day for four days a week. So she is gone for a majority of the day. And I, I sort of get a little stir crazy right. being cooped up in the apartment. And, um, I think, you know, having a job, you know, starting something, it would give me a little bit more of a, you know, like, structure. Yeah, exactly. And, and like the reason to leave the apartment besides running to the post office or whatever. <laughs> right. Besides becoming best friends with the people at your local Starbucks and yeah. the, pe- the people at your, uh, yeah, at your post office. <laughs> yeah. Which, yes, we know each other quite well and they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, <clears throat> and sort of to, to, I don't know, wrap things up in, in some way, shape or form. Um, the, I mean, I I think what it is like the point that you hit on earlier was something I want to sort of readdress where it's difficult for you people, you know, like yourself, obviously included to sort of quantify success, you know, like what, um, when does a person become, you know, either satisfied and not satisfied to like, uh, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, like satisfied, like, Oh, okay. I I can stop here. I've done everything. But how the concept of how um yeah being successful is a moving target and it's like i i don't think especially like you know if you got in front of high schoolers and were like okay you laid this out for them where it's just like yeah you know being successful like that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and that would like you know that blow their minds they'd be like what are you talking yeah yeah um and so you know as obviously the you know the label and the band grows and it's like the you know, when do you kind of, when do you personally sort of pick up those marking posts and sort of, you know, move them? Like when, when did things sort of, you know, feel real enough for you to be like, all right, I'm going to quit my job. And they know, I'm going to, I'm going to just focus on doing the label full time. Like, was it just one of those things that it kind of, the timing forced you to do so? Or was it just like, all right, I guess I'll just try to do this. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, a combination of of things. I, Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was working at the library and uh, and taking more and more time off. And at, when I was working there, they were incredibly supportive of my band. And, and I would take off stretches of time that I really probably shouldn't have been able to take off as much time as I did. But they, they were supportive of me and they, they let me go. But it got to the point where I was needing too much time. And every time I left, somebody had to fill in for me. And I, I felt guilty about that, even though that they were they were good about it. Um, it got to the point where it's like, ah, this is getting to be ridiculous. I can't ask for any more time off. So what happened is two years ago when I, when I, when I left my job, 
um, we moved back in with my parents, which is a hard thing to do. My parents are great and everything, but we're married, and it's not something we want to do. But we moved back in with my parents, uh, and we went on uh, a longer tour and then came back, and Kathy would drive from my parents' house to work. Um, which is over an hour away, and if you add that to a 10-hour day, obviously, it's quite, right. quite a long day for her. And she had, I think, like an hour unpaid lunch that normally she can come home for, but then she couldn't, you know, so she was gone for like 13 hours a day or something. But the reason that we moved home was we wanted to see if financially me not working and doing the label was possible. So that, that way, we weren't paying for rent at the same time as trying you know, trying this because it. it failed, it would fail horribly. Right. Um, so that, that was sort of, you know, when, when, when we made it, but do you remember when I was, when I was talking earlier about having that feeling where like, I could not, I could never not quit sports. You right. Know, track right. And I had the same feeling with the label. Like it was like, I could, I could never quit my job because it's, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not done. This is not expected. But, um, I don't know, and it took me a very long time to convince myself to be able, be able to do that. And mm-hmm. and Kathy was super supportive of it. You know, we made sure our our uh, you know T's were crossed and our I's were dotted, and 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 we we did it the right way. But that's an incredibly hard thing to do. Yeah. Another thing that that the reason I I quit my job is I want to tour all the time. And another concept that I had a really hard time with was, and this is actually why we one of the reasons why. Well, we lost our last drummer, who's you know still one of my best friends, and he still plays with us a lot, actually. But uh, we both, all, all of us had a, we had not, we haven't had a permanent basis for I don't know, like three years now, something ridiculous like that. And we just stopped looking for band numbers. We, I just, I think it's easier now. But what we did at that point was, whatever band that we were on a tour with, we borrowed a basis, or we asked one of our friends to fill in, or whatever. And then it got to the point where Kathy couldn't take any time off work as much as we were touring because, you know, she has a real job and right. can't leave a real job like that. So me and John, who was the drummer at the time, went on tour with my friend's band and my friend's band played the other half. Oh, okay. Right. And so, um, and sort of out of that concept, um, once I quit my job, um, once I, uh, we, one reason we were quitting my job is we were moving closer to home where our drummer was and back to Fenton and we were going to be able to take off as a band, whatever. And that's when he decided that, you know, this, he was just kind of burnt out from music and he kind of didn't want to be in a touring band anymore. So we moved home partially for, for him to be closer to him. And then he, he quit and we had a tour coming up. And so the other band that we were, we were on tour, going on tour with Reptilian. And so Reptilian stepped up to the plate and played bass and drums for us and that. And sort of out of that concept, I finally, after that, was finally able to shed the the concept that I needed for people, the same people, to be in the band. And not every single tour I've done since then. It's generally me and whatever tour and band I'm with is my backing band. Right. Well, so that, what it would be. Right. And it, it, it's not a concept that, like, I definitely wouldn't recommend it to other people, but it does work for me. So I'll send the tabs to the songs and the set list out, like, you know, X amount of days or month or a month or something, a couple of weeks before tour, and I will get there a day before tour, and we will run through the songs, and then, like, so on tour, it'd be like, this band will play, 
and then I will get on stage, and they'll stay on stage pretty much, and we kind of go from there. Right, right, right. Well, it's cool. Like you, like you've through many trials and errors, you've been able to kind of you know define what you're comfortable with, and like obviously what works for you, and what works for you, like you said, isn't going to be applicable across the board. But it's like you know this is something that is in your bones, so there's no way that you you'll figure out a way to make this happen regardless. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and I've been, I've been fortunate. I've been, I've been able, I, I were at a level of, um, ease where like, it's easy for me to not, if, if one, one band can't tour, there's always another band that can tour. And, and, and the nice thing about that is we both, we both share a van and share equipment. So it's also cheaper and more practical to tour this way too. Yep. So, um, like when we did a West Coast tour with, um, one of my one of my best friends is uh, Warren Franklin, who's who's in a, in a band called Warren Franklin. It's, it's, it's his sole project that's turned into a full project. Mm-hmm. And actually, I play guitar in his band over oh, a lot cool. of tours. So, um, and now, so so now it's even funnier now. Like the last couple of tours I've done with him, it'll be all of us playing on stage. Um, and he has a friend named Stuart that plays drums for us a lot too. Um, and it'll be all of us on stage, and then we'll be like, okay, well. We're gonna take like a ten minute break or whatever. Then the exact same people will come back and just be like, "I'll be singing instead of Warren." You know? <laughs> That's so funny. It's just like, "Hey, I thought I thought we we're getting someone different right now." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously very diff- different sounding, but it's, 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 it works out really well um, that yeah. way. So That's cool. Um, and now, but at this point, like we, at once once John left, and uh, that was like over a year ago. Um, and even before that, really, we stopped looking. I stopped looking for members. I don't need them anymore. I just, you know, I'll write the drum part, I'll write the bass part, and then when we have a, you know, when we tour, then like whatever, whatever people that are filling in for us will just learn those parts, you know. No, for sure. I I think that's, yeah. You just you've you've shown, like I said, you've shown an unconventional path in order to get you to a you know, what some people could define as a conventional goal where it's like, you, this yeah. is this, this idea of creating music and playing in a band and giving you, yourself the ability to tour. Um, you know, not everybody has to take the same path and it's like, they're yeah. well, no, actually that's what I found out is the biggest thing that I really learned in all my years of playing music is that if something works for somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out for another, you know, let's say like, being on this label can do something for one band, but not do anything for another or knowing this person, you know, having this person as a contact for shows might help out somebody, but won't at all help out somebody else. Yeah, no, for sure. You can't, you can't, you can't, I think I'm past the point of patterning my, my, um, my, my, my band, uh, based on like, you know, the traditional steps of success that, that, everybody else takes but actually I, I realized now that i didn't answer your question earlier which was you know what how do you determine like benchmarks for success sure and 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 i, I i've been able to i i, I don't know because when you when you make a, a comment where like oh your band is you know as big as x band like mineral or promising was in their day that's something that's really really hard for me to quantify because I, those are bands that like i have on pedestal right and i don't think i could ever rival anything that they've done or ever be as popular as they were even though uh, certainly at some point they were you know not that large a band and and also you know it's different times but like they're you know i feel like um 
I guess when I was starting a band, I always measured, I was trying to be like Death Cab when, during like the Weird Facts photo album era, like mm-hmm. that kind of big, like Pedro the Lion kind of big, you know. Sure. That was my, my, my barometer for success, but, but we've taken such a strange path to get there and, and sort of like we play almost exclusively house shows and, 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 uh, in, you know, DIY spaces and basements and stuff like that, which is not, path that any of those bands really successful bands really ever took and it's kind of interesting because it's I love doing it very much and that's very much where we feel comfortable at home but it's also kind of like a dead end as far as progression goes Mm -hmm. because you know you it's like you I've gone we've gone as far as we can in the house show scene (laughs) you know what I mean there's no there's no next progress like logical stepping stone if we were to say jump into like the club scene or something like that and also we were uh sometimes i think to myself it would be nice to, to start playing like shows like that and open up for like real bands or, or whatever right but then but then i see then we'll play a show like that or i'll, I'll go and see uh somebody somebody playing and that and i you know more often than not there aren't that many people there you know that, that that there would be if you're playing in a basement so it's kind of a weird just position that i don't know yeah no for sure I, and hey it just it, hearing the way you describe that it's uh it's cool because obviously like you said you're you know you're still evolving you're still trying to figure out um you know what it is that you want to do and where you feel comfortable with and ultimately i think that's what you know everybody needs to do within their own lives in order yeah, to yeah in order to well, realize I, I where they fit I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm still, and admittedly, I'm, I still gauge our success based on like bands like Promising and Mineral and and, and, and uh, Death Cab, and obviously they're astronomically popular now. So it's not even a goal that I could. <laughs> yeah, band yeah. Out. You know what I mean? Like who would have predicted that? It, same thing with Gaming World. Who would have ever predicted that? But that's, but that's you know. I, so I, I'm gauging myself on uh, an archaic scale of success based out of the 90s which you know early 2000s which just doesn't exist anymore so like it's hard for me to to, to slate sort of that 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 thirst you know because i've been able i've been able to do ridiculous things we toured japan last year we we toured europe a couple years ago and we're going back in in a month uh we you know i've seen like i've been to like we played shows in almost every single state i'm missing like four at this point or five, you know, right. and things like that. And I never thought we would, able, we would be able to do. So like on a, on a micro, um, micro sense, we, we've done, um, way more than everything that, that way more that, we, that I ever thought we would do. We've accomplished way more, but on a macro sort of like larger scale, I feel like we haven't done anything. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, it totally does. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's just that's just the nature of the beast, and ultimately, as long as you're obviously comfortable with where you're sitting, then that's that's all anybody can really ask. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Keith, honestly, I really do appreciate you obviously hanging out and shooting the shit for an hour because, uh, yeah, you you were you were very revealing and you spoke honestly, and that's all I can ask for. <laughs> well, thanks. I hope that 
I feel like I talked too much for you. Probably didn't get to ask any Dude, questions you wanted to ask. No, 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 no. This was perfect. You, you, you did a lot of the heavy lifting for me. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, yeah, Keith talks a lot, but I thought it was awesome because he definitely said a lot of great stuff. And um, yeah, check out his band and his record label. Uh, count your lucky stars. Uh, just Google it because uh, I don't want to even fake like I know the website. But I've ordered a ton of stuff from him, and uh, yeah, it's packaged with love and stickers and sometimes buttons. Um, yeah, visit propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, do all that fun stuff. And until next week, be safe, everybody. Bye.